So welcome. I am so glad you are a listener of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. And if you are new, welcome to our world. And if you are have been here a little while, welcome back to our conversations. When I started this podcast over two years ago, I sat in a little closet all by myself talking to myself because I heard the closet was the best place to record. And I've just met so many people. We've had so many conversations and we are closing in on 50,000 downloads. The episodes keep growing. We are booked out for so many months in ahead. We are even having people reach across to us from overseas. We have a surgeon coming on in January, affirming voice surgeon. And I'm just so excited where these conversations are going. The series that you are listening to now is a day in the life of the school SLP. And we get to listen to another school-based SLP. And I tell you guys, I'm not school-based. I'm hardcore medical-based. And I am thinking the school might be a, a great place to go work. So please share this podcast with people. Pull other people on board. Share, like, follow, subscribe. We've got some great things planned for the future. But for this episode, I want to introduce you to Noelle Scolieri. She is a pediatric speech-language pathologist with experience in both private practice and in the schools. She graduated with her Master's of Science in Communication Sciences and Disorders from Baylor University. She graduated summa cum laude with a Bachelor's in Communication Disorders and a minor in Psychology from Geneva College. Noelle has had the opportunity to do research at both the undergraduate and graduate levels with a special interest in childhood apraxia of speech literacy and teletherapy. She loves working with children and is dedicated to seeing them achieve the goals in speech. Noelle loves sharing her love of this field with future SLPs and enjoys being a mentor that they can turn to. In her free time, Noelle enjoys reading, doing do-it-yourself projects, shopping, and spending time with her family and friends. She's also the published author of three children's books and three novels under the pen name Nadette Ray Rogers. And I know this is a podcast and you can see her, but she is wearing the cutest kitty cat headphones and the backdrop behind her is all Halloween. So jumpy spiders and ghosts and orange pumpkins. I so hope you enjoy this podcast recording as much as I did. And again, a reminder and a thank you to Katie Widstrom Landgraf as she is the co-host with me on this. Hello, Noelle. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for being here. The more conversations we have, the more I am reminded about just how awesome the setting is that we work in. And I'm really looking forward to talking with you. Thank so you. I have to I have to ask you, we've got to, we've got to learn your origin story, right? Everybody has one. Talk to us a little bit about your journey to becoming a school-based SLP. I guess back in high school, I was struggling with what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. And I was that like little seven-year-old that people were like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. And as time kept going and I got older, I just do not do well with needles and blood and anything. <laughs> So it got the time where I started actually applying to colleges and I did apply to some like bio and pre-med programs, but then I kind of talked more with my family and reevaluated if that actually was the setting for me or not. And then I was considering teaching 
just because I love working with little kids and, you know, helping them figure things out. And I was just at a loss. I, it was not fitting what I was going for. And then I happened to be babysitting this little boy who actually had a brain tumor at the time that was on the language center of the brain. So he didn't talk. And I just sat down and started playing with him like it was no different than any other kid I'd ever babysat and found a way to talk with him through the toys and our books. And his grandmother came to pick him up at the end and sat and watched us play it and then pulled me aside and was like, what are you going to school for? And I was like, oh, I do not know. <laughs> like, I need some help. And she said, I think you should be an SLP. Oh, and I was like, a what now? <laughs> and what she just now? said, yeah, she was like, go home and Google it. I think it'd be a good fit. So I went home and then I switched some of my applications to communication disorders and kind of did, if I get in, this is what I'll do. And I started taking those intro classes and it was like the perfect fit. So glad I found it. <laughs> what a fabulous story. You <laughs> yeah. literally had somebody tell you what your mm-hmm. destiny was. How incredible yes. is that? <laughs> yes. Okay. So now we know how you became a speech language pathologist. Yeah. How did you end up working in a school setting or being school-based? Can you talk to us more about that? Yeah. So I'm actually split. I'm half school-based and then I also do some private practice as well. Um, And that's been a nice mix to get a little bit of everything and see how it all works. Um, But how I ended up with the school-based was I just, I just really love working with kids. So I kind of knew that was the setting I wanted to be in. And I also love my whole life. I've always loved like reading and literacy. And so I like that the school has a lot of that language aspect to it and getting to collaborate with their reading teachers. And if they're struggling in reading, we can talk about it and go back to that phonological level and help them do better in school too. And that's one thing that I think I didn't realize when I first just randomly applied to this major that speech impacts so many other areas. So I think in the school-based setting, you can really see how it improves their day-to-day life as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things that I'm curious about, you talked about having split time. So part private practice, part working in the schools. Can you walk us through Uh, a typical day for you? Because I do think that idea of a split is intriguing and it sounds Mm -hmm. like the best of both worlds. So could you talk to us more about a day in the life of of your actual life (laughs) as an SLP? Uh, That'd be great. Yeah. Um, So one thing that I did after just some advice from other people in my life is at first I was thinking, oh, I could do school every day till 3.30 and then just pick up with the other job at 3.30 till whenever. And some people just around me encouraged me, that's not going to be good work-life balance and you still need time for all the paperwork and everything. So what I did was I was in a school two to two and a half days, full school days. And then the private practice, I did those other days um, and evenings. So I did have some kind of empty chunks sometimes. It seemed to be that my mornings were full and then my afternoons were full, but I'd kind of have that 
break around lunch that was pretty empty when it was the private practice. And then um, as far as the school goes, that was the typical, I think my day was 7.30 to 3.30. And then sometimes, depending on the private practice schedule, I'd switch right over to a teletherapy session at 3.30. So it was definitely some long days and not many breaks, but um, yeah, it can it can be a long day there. So your long days and not many breaks makes me think about uh, things like work life, work life balance, and mm-hmm. uh, management of workload. So how do you personally manage your workload? Yeah, um, that's one thing that I definitely have been learning as I'm going, and especially with the paperwork. I'm on the newer side of things. So I see that a lot of it, you know, a paper that would take me a couple hours to do when I was starting out is getting quicker and quicker. And so I'm learning how to make it go quicker and what things need to be included and what I could go a little faster writing. Um, So I've been doing a lot of things like that, like trying to really look at it honestly. How can I, how am I using my time and what could I use it better for? And then Part of those long days was also during my clinical fellowship year. So it I was just doing what I had to do to reach those hours. And I kind of saw it as, okay, life is going to be crazy for these nine months. It kind of felt like an extension of grad school, but it's nice now that I have my C's to kind of be able to pick and choose the hours a little bit easier and kind of just decide, like you said, for the work-life balance, like, okay, do I need this right now? can I take another student on versus I think in my CF, it was very much, yes, yes, yes. I'll take anything that's offered my way. So. So could you talk a little bit about the difference between how you perceive expectations or what you need to do uh, when you're in graduate school versus what's required to kind of survive and thrive in the work setting? Does that question make sense? Absolutely. I think in grad school, and I mean, every program is going to be different, um, but at least for my grad school and my undergrad, it was very paperwork heavy for especially the school-based type setting. Almost expected like for your internships that you would write these elaborate lesson plans, like huge reports, detailed to the nth degree. And then you actually get in the field And I think the first few weeks I did start writing really long lesson plans. And then I was like, who am I even showing this to? (laughs) Like, who's asking for this? (laughs) Right, right. And then I think also that is one difference with the private practice versus the school-based is a lot of times school is the groups. So I was really struggling with, okay, I have this really long lesson plan and it's perfect for student A, but it's not serving student B well. So I started really trying to just think of like, how can I quickly lesson plan in a way that's going to help the group versus write a 10-page plan for each kid and then not be able to implement it in the moment? And I think that's a difference is the expectations is like you need a, in grad school at least, you need a perfectly written out plan and then you actually get in the job and it's like you have to remember that things don't always go according to plan. And especially with a lot of the kids we're working with, they might be having a rough day and you can't fit that into the plan that you came in with. You have to adapt and change it. So I think that was a big 
lesson starting in the field is you can change things and you have the power to change it and you don't need to write a huge report on why you're changing it. Wow, that's a great insight, Noelle. And I do think adaptability is the plan. What I'm hearing you say is is yes. the ability to be adaptable yeah. and flexible with what you intend with a therapy task or activity. Yeah. Is about as much as you can plan. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so could you talk a little bit more about teletherapy specifically? I know that for me, I became really adept at teletherapy really quickly uh, <laughs> due to the pandemic, but it still felt like a very steep learning curve. And I mm -hmm. wonder if, if maybe I had chosen that, if that experience would be different. So I'm curious to know kind of what your thoughts and your experiences are with teletherapy and things that you've yeah. discovered work, uh, things that you've discovered are challenging. Yeah, I actually during, so my entire grad program was during the pandemic. I think I had a few weeks of my grad program before the pandemic happened. Wow. And so everything was completely online. And even, you know, plans I had, the places to go, internships, all of that changed very quickly. And so I did get put in a few teletherapy placements. Um, and it was interesting because it was one of those things that at first I was like, you know, this isn't what I planned. I wasn't expecting this. And I think we all had a lot of moments like that during the last few years. And I was kind of upset by it. And then I took it to be like, okay, well, how can I learn from this experience that's going to teach me something that maybe I wouldn't have ever taken the opportunity before. And I really enjoyed those semesters with the teletherapy. And at the end, during my um, those reviews at the end with the supervisors, each time with the teletherapy, they had all said, hey, you should pursue teletherapy. It seems like you're really thriving with this. And then it came time to look for my CF. And I ended up getting a private practice role and starting their, helping to start their teletherapy department. And then the school had reached out to me to do this teletherapy school-based with them. And it was just really interesting because the more that I got involved in it, the more I saw just integrating that technology for the students was really cool. And then while I was wrapping up my grad program, one of my electives, I did a mentored research program with one of our department heads on teletherapy specifically and its effectiveness and all of that. So I think I'm very like research-based my mind. I like, it kind of works that way. And I really like the research side of our field. So I think doing that experience led me more to pick the teletherapy side of things. And I've just really enjoyed it since then. But I have some friends who were thrown in the same situation as me and they didn't end up enjoying it as much and it maybe wasn't for them. So they pursued more in-person settings. But so I think, like you said, it's kind of how you look at it. And also just, I kept getting teletherapy after teletherapy. So that's just how I ended up rolling with it. Right. Again, adaptability. Uh, and, I, and it sounds like you really connected and you were able to have some meaningful experiences with yeah. clients and students in that format. And so I think that's really incredible as well. Thanks. So let's talk a little bit about like your favorite part of your job. Uh, so when you think about your job, what is one of your favorite parts? 
Um, I think it's just with the little, the younger kids, and I think there's that like moment where you can see that they kind of get it and they get excited about it, or like when they'll tell you, come in and tell you a different story from something that happened over the weekend, and maybe they use their speech strategies, or they're all excited because they gave a report in school and it went better than before. So I think seeing it click for them is really cool. And on tough days, one of the kids come in and say that and it makes it better. It does. I I think it's great to have those moments to hang on to and Mm -hmm. their celebrations become our celebrations. Yeah. Incredible. So could you talk a little bit about uh, collaboration and working with interdisciplinary teams, uh, some experience you've had with that? Sure, yeah. So I think those situations really depend on the people because I've had some collaboration that has been amazing. Like the teachers have gone above and beyond, the ESE coordinators went above and beyond, and especially with teletherapy, it adds an extra level because if the teacher wasn't sending the kid to speech, I couldn't just go knock on the door and be like, oh, I need to see so-and-so for speech now. It was more challenging. And so there were a few people at the school that I could really count on that if something was going on technology-wise, I could give call their landline school number and talk to them and they'd help me through it with the kids. Um, But there also were some situations of teachers just not signing the kids on, kind of picking and choosing if they thought they needed speech, when they thought they needed speech, and not valuing what we were doing, but then would be the first to come and tell us that they weren't understanding the kids. So it did make it difficult. And I think that was another learning thing for me coming out of school. I started out just always being really polite to the teachers and kind of letting them keep doing that. And I think there came a turning point where I just realized this is not helping the child. We need to follow their IEP. I need to get their minutes in. And that's my job. And if they're not okay with that, I need to still do my job and help this child. So then I started figuring out, and it took time to figure out a system that worked for me of, okay, how many emails do I let go before I call them? How many times do I call before I reach out to administration? And it took some time. Some teachers learned it quicker and then we got to a good rapport with collaborating and others, I don't think they loved (laughs) having to send the kid to speech. But I think coming at it also from like an educational standpoint and I would give them the reasons why the child needed speech and remind them of that and sometimes I would also offer to do different I guess in service sort of things at the school to help talk about or answer speech questions if they had it so it wasn't just oh I don't understand why they're going to speech so I'm just not going to send them so I think that took some time to figure that out and what worked best to collaborate. And with some teachers, I knew the email I had to send versus others. I knew I had to call them. And I think that takes some time and learning the the staff and how they operate, especially when you're the new SLP coming into a well-oiled machine with the school. Yeah, I definitely think there can be those 
pre-existing dynamics or uh, relationships. And when you're new to a team, there's definitely some time and some mm-hmm. experiences that you can't really skip over. I think, I think, like you said, it just took some time and some different things happening to figure out what would work best for the student and what would allow you to uh, provide the services that student needs. Yeah. Absolutely. This is kind of related, I think, but are there particular challenges that you keep bumping up against in the setting that you're currently working in? I think last year was the attendance was a big challenge. I think it was a little easier for with teletherapy to forget or not show up versus the times I've been in person. I don't think it happens as much because if you're at a private practice, you either have to be in the car 20, 30 minutes before driving to a session. Or if it is school, the child's at the school and if need be, I could walk across the hall and go get them. And so I think the teletherapy added that challenge of just a lot more no-shows. And it started... I started out with a lot of time just spent staring at a Zoom or an empty Teams meeting waiting for the students. Um, And I think that's one of those things that I figured out some ways around that. And with the private practice, I talked with the team there and we got a new policy in place to try to help combat that a little bit. So there's less of those cancels one minute before and things like that. And then For the school-based setting, I think working on that collaboration and figuring out how to really encourage the attendance. And we started having teachers put a little alarm on their computer or their phone with a special ringtone, and then the child would hear it and remember that it was time for speech. And we came up with some different strategies like that that really helped. Um, But I would say that was probably the biggest thing in this last year and continuing into this year a little bit was just figuring out how to work with the attendance piece. I think that idea of having a specific ringtone and having yeah. a program, because then that child can take some ownership of sort of tracking mm-hmm. the the appointment or the session time, yeah. knowing that, you know, a little person might not be tuned into the exact time of day, but when they right. hear that bell chime, oh, I have to go see Miss Noel now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very cool idea. Thanks. (laughs) So when you think about where you are right now, what is something that you wish someone had told you before you started this job? Or what is something you wish you knew on the front end that perhaps you know now? Man, there's a lot of things. <laughs> I Part of it was because I did so much just stumble into the field, I guess. I didn't really know other SLPs to even ask and get that insider information. And so I think there were a lot of things that I wish I knew. And that's part of why I even actually started my social media for SLPs. I was just like, I want to share what no one told me. And I wish that I had heard. I think one thing was I wish there was more talked about some of the very important things besides just the therapy session. Like I wish there was more time in school dedicated to 
the IEPs and even like leading your own mock IEP session. Cause I don't think that can really, you can't really be prepared as much until you're just thrown into it. And all through a lot of the supervision experiences and clinics in a lot of those settings, you're not really talking at any of those events. You're just observing with a notebook in the side and I, which is also helpful and important, but then you actually get to the real thing and you kind of feel like you're floundering. And I think it kind of brings some of that imposter syndrome in there too. Like, well, why are they listening to me talk about this and having to remind yourself that you're the one there to talk about it. So Um, Noel, let's talk a little bit about any kind of pro tips or insights that you would want our listeners to have when you're leading that IEP meeting. What are some things that maybe you want us all to know? First and foremost, I think the most important thing, and this is a tip that I did get from one of my supervisors, was always start with positives about the child. Because those sessions can feel, for a parent, so negative. Mm -hmm. And all the parent wants to hear is something positive about their child. And even maybe they're not mastering all their goals yet in speech, but they come to speech hardworking and, or maybe they come in with a joke every day or something about their personality. Always include that and start with it and make sure you like show them that you mean it. And it's not just something you say about every child. And then, um, the other pro tip, and this is something that I tell a lot of SLP students that I work with is it's something so simple, but for me, the IEP meetings was a lot about mindset. And I actually wrote down on a piece of paper over and over again, I am the expert. I am the expert. And I just kept writing that for a whole sheet of paper (laughs) right before my first IEP meeting so that I could go in reminding myself in that room, I'm the person they asked to be at the meeting to talk about speech and language. And I think it's really easy to second guess yourself on that and forget that. And in the IEP meetings, you know, the parents are the expert on the child. It's their child. And then you are called in to be the expert for speech and language and the other people in the meeting for their specific roles and pieces of the pie. But it was something that was simple and really helped me. And then I even had it on like a post-it note or the top of my planner just to remind me walking into the session of why I was there. And I think that helped a lot with confidence going into it. Those are great tips. Uh, I do think when you were talking about uh, the experience for parents and guardians, I I do think that hearing what's going well and what's going right Mm -hmm. uh, is important. One of the, one of the things that I do is I actually talk about student strengths last. So we bookend positive things from like teachers and things that students do well. And then I'll ask that parent. And and I know that when we write it, it shows up in a different spot in the document. Yes. That doesn't matter to me. I I create like this, this positive sandwich. Uh, So I'll talk about strengths at the end. And I'll ask parents, when you think about your child, what do you think some of their strengths are? And that's kind of how we wrap the conversation up. I I just remember thinking about like, we talk about strengths the first 10 minutes and then everything else is concern, 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 concern. Yeah. 
and and it can kind of get lost uh, that strength mindset, the superpowers the kid does have to succeed. So uh, I think I think how we think about and how we enter those spaces is really important. And I appreciate you bringing that up. I have to ask you to talk a little bit more about your social media presence and some of your side projects. Could you talk to us about that? Sure. So my social media is called AnSLP2B, the number two and just a letter B. And um, I have a website, Instagram, Facebook. And honestly, it started just kind of sharing my journey becoming an SLP and then ended up people would reach out to me and ask me if I could be a mentor or offer tutoring or different services to help them. And so now my page is just geared towards basically what I wish I knew before. And so the main thing that I offer is I have my and SLP2B survival guide. And so that's where grad students can sign up and they get an email every week to their inbox through grad school with a resource to help them in their mental health during grad school, a resource they can use in clinics so they don't have to spend a ton of time or money looking for resources, um, a motivational quote of the week, study tip, and I team up with a lot of other SLPs in the area that will add a resource to them, to the packets too. Um, and then I also offer mentorship sessions, practice tutoring sessions. Um, and then on my page, I'll just share study tips or relatable reels to share some humor and make them laugh during the stressful finals week time. I think that's wonderful. It's like you're creating this experience of somebody, somebody on your team. Uh, I think the experience of graduate school and I've been out of graduate school for a while, but I distinctly remember it feeling at times overwhelming overwhelming and somewhat yes. isolated and it's yeah. true that you have other folks in your cohort but that kind of perfectionism mindset becomes yes. self-isolating in a way mm-hmm. yeah and, so, and I've had so many girls reach out to me and they're like I feel like everyone else in my class is completely understanding this and so I don't want to go to the professor I don't want to ask someone else in my class and I don't know who to go to And another thing I always like to tell them is, you know, you might be feeling that way. And then tomorrow you might completely get the content and the girl next to you is feeling that way. And you never know how they're feeling in their other classes or other areas. So just, you know, keep doing what you're doing and it clicks for different people in different areas because our field is so vast. So someone might really be absolutely crushing it in the aphasia class and you might be really doing well in the language development and it just kind of goes back and forth a little yeah i think we would do well to remember that we can combine superpowers that's what i'll tell my students let's combine our superpowers but that's true for us in the field as well i think it can help to combine superpowers sometimes i have one final question for you but it's a doozy okay so i want you to think about your big why why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep showing up day after day, week after week? What are your drivers or your motivators? I think the biggest thing is a lot of times there's communication is so important to all of us. And I think for a lot of these 
children, I'm more pediatric based. So for a lot of the children that I'm part of my why is like, they can't or don't have the ability to communicate in the way that they want to in their mind sometimes. And being able to help them so that they feel heard and feel like their words do matter. Cause we tell them that, you know, but we need to make sure they feel that and want to communicate and not be frustrated by communicating, I think is the one thing that keeps pushing me on the tough days or during grad school is like, okay, today I feel frustrated and challenged, but these children are feeling that way a lot. So I'll push through so then I can help them do that. Oh, yes. <laughs> phenomenal, Noelle. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending this time with us, for sharing your thoughts, for giving us great ideas. We so appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh my goodness. That one just left me with goosebumps. I am so enjoying these episodes and I'm so enjoying watching the responses that come in and the the comments that everybody is saying. Please do me a favor. Please share, like, follow, subscribe. The Missing Link for Fresh SLPs is really turning into a podcast where you can come and be curious and learn about all the wonderful things we do as SLPs the challenging things we have and how others in our field deal with these challenges and overcome them. It's a wonderful spot to be. Come join our community. You can find us on our Instagram at FreshSLP, on our website at FreshSLP.com. Come find us. We're also on Facebook. Hope to meet you soon.